We have two readings this morning. The first one is from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And you can find that on page 969 of the Pew Bible. The heading for this reading is Salt and Light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that you may see, they may see your deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the second reading is found in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And that can be found on page 1214. Faith and Deeds. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit's deed, so faith As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning, one and all. It was raining heavily. The land was flooded and the water was rising. And a young farmer was living in a cottage out in the sticks and was becoming anxious for his safety. A four-wheel drive appeared and the driver invited him to jump in and be rescued. And the farmer said, Thanks for the offer, but I trust God. He will save me. The rain poured down and the water level kept on rising and a boat appeared. He was again invited to come aboard, but the farmer said, I trust God. He will save me. And the rain kept on pelting down and the poor farmer climbed up onto the roof of his cottage. Eventually a helicopter flew over and the pilot tried to save him. But he said as before, thanks for the offer. I trust God. He will save me. And he drowned in the flood. And up in heaven, Peter asked the Lord why the farmer had died so young. And the Lord replied, well, I sent him a four-wheel drive, a boat, and a helicopter, but he didn't want to know. (laughs) It's all very well believing, but our beliefs should prompt us to act accordingly. As it said in the reading from James, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Have a look at this picture. Does anybody know where it is? Las Vegas. (laughs) Yes, it is. Has anybody been there? Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) It's it's one of those places that's so bad, it's good, if you know what I mean. It provides so many ways to gamble. You can gamble uh, with the fruit machines. You can gamble while you're having a meal. Uh, You can even gamble in the toilets, for goodness sake. There are rows and rows of fruit machines, luxury hotels, spectacular shows, a mini Eiffel Tower, which I think you can see in the picture there. Yes, you can. Um, and an area resembling Venice with gondolas, for goodness sake. But I digress. I've only been to Las Vegas once back in the 1980s. And I can remember driving along in the night in the middle of nowhere. It was black. And then suddenly I saw a blaze of light. It was dazzling. And in some areas, the light is so bright that you can take a photo at night without a flash. On the other hand, just picture that for the moment. On the other hand, I can remember flying into Manchester Airport at night. Can you see the difference? You can see many spots of light all over the place. Just think of the contrast between Las Vegas and Manchester. The point I'm making is that in too many, in too many occasions, we Christians have to a great extent opted out of relating our Christian faith to the life we live day by day in the real world. And the same is true in politics and society in general, whether it's the arts, theatre, radio, TV, 
and we and society have suffered the consequences. We've too readily adopted the Las Vegas model, concentrating our activity on the church building and what goes on inside. Inside, there's a bright, shining light, but we can so easily ignore the darkness outside. And in so doing, we've forfeited our chance to influence and make an impact on our society. If you consider what I call the Manchester model, you see little spots of light all over the place. That's the way we should be living as Christians, permeating our society in many ways. Of course, I'm generalizing here, but you can see what I mean. If we as Christians don't get involved, others will. And we'll be held accountable to God for what we do or we don't do. Thank God for those high-profile Christians who hit the headlines for the right reasons. How about Gary Grant? He was the owner of the entertainer toy shops who closes his entertainer toy stores on Sundays. And two years ago, Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday. And he's still closed. By the way, it probably cost him about two million pounds. Gary refuses to open on Sundays because he's a devout Christian. And he believes that giving his 1,700, 1,700 staff Sundays off helps strengthen family life. And he applies his Christian values to every aspect of his business. But thank God, too, for those who don't claim to have a Christian faith, but are still making a positive impact on the world we live in. As an example, something which concerns me, has concerned me quite a bit recently, is the way gambling is becoming ever more acceptable and yet it has wrecked so many lives. As a football fan, I find it sad that so many football clubs accept sponsorship from the gambling industry. So I was most encouraged, encouraged to hear about Gary Sweet, who's chief executive of Luton Town Football Club, who've just been promoted. Um, and he refused to have the Luton players wearing football shirts which promote gambling. His decision is a costly one, as his football club is losing money, but he feels it's a matter of principle. God bless Gary. I don't know whether he has a Christian faith, but God bless Gary anyway. Many of us don't find ourselves in that situation, but we should all play our part, our involvement varying from person to person. Can I take a few principles from Scripture? This is not an exhaustive list, or we'd be here all night. Um, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, we're warned about condoning injustice. We're to work for a fair society which looks after the weak. We should also be concerned about suffering, whether that be poverty, drought, active persecution. And we know that there are so many Christians in the world today suffering persecution for their faith. 
Do we support fair trade initiatives? Perhaps that involves paying a bit more. Consider Sainsbury's, who buy apparently 75% of the bananas sold by St. Lucia, which enables them to invest in schools. Let's support them. That's a good initiative. In Exodus 22, it says we should not wrong a stranger, and so on. Does that possibly relate to how we should relate to immigrants and asylum seekers? I can't discuss that now, but it should be on our agenda. Our God believes in justice in society, and so should we. In Romans 13, we're reminded that the powers that be have a God-given role and deserve respect And we are called to be good, law-abiding citizens. But leaders also have a responsibility to God and are accountable to God for their actions. The early church lived under a dictatorship. But our leaders are accountable to us as we have a more democratic system. So we have the responsibility as Christians of working to bring about godly principles in government. In the first book of Timothy, we're encouraged to pray for those in authority. I wonder, do we pray for our MPs and the cabinet, especially at this tricky time as they negotiate their way through the Brexit mess? Do we encourage them to make just laws In the first chapter of Genesis, we read of our responsibility for the natural world. And Rachel, our curate, talked about this in her sermon last week. If you missed it, do by all means pick it up on the internet. And incidentally, if you're away from church one Sunday, do listen to the sermon by going on the website, the church website. And even if you were there, do take the opportunity to listen again as there may be too many points to take in at one sitting. In the passage from Matthew, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us two helpful images, salt and light. Now, salt can be used to preserve food and stop it going rotten. Nowadays, we tend to freeze food. But you may be interested to know that in Portugal, they still preserve their cod with salt. Salt also gives flavor to the food. And as believers, we're supposed to stop or help stop the rot in society, or at least take a stand against corruption. How good are we at doing that? Or do we compromise? And do we encourage those we meet to draw closer to God? Do we give them something to take away? In other words, do we make a difference to the lives of those folk we meet? Remember, your life may be the only Bible they ever read. How brightly does your light shine? 
Going back to my Las Vegas theory, do we live in a spiritual ghetto on a Sunday morning and then get back to the real world on Monday? Do we all shine together and make a big area of light over a small area? Or are we permeating society like little specks of light all over the place? And when I say all over the place, I mean in the hospital, in the supermarket queue, at work, at the bus stop, at the football match, in the restaurant, at the pub. Jesus seems to have been spending a lot of time in pubs, hasn't he? God is interested in us wherever we are and whatever day of the week it happens to be. I happen to enjoy playing tennis. Actually, perhaps I should have, say, should have said playing at tennis given my standard. But when I toddle off to play tennis, I'm still a believer in Jesus. But when I come to church, I'm still a tennis player. The two worlds are one because there's not a spiritual world which we inhabit when we come to church and then a real world where we live most of our lives and make real decisions. It's all one. We need to get real. Some, some, uh, some believers say that we should come out and be separate. So, for example, they, they send their children home for lunch as school is not considered appropriate. I don't just disagree with them, but that view makes me really angry. Jesus called us to be salt and light. But how can you be salt and light if you're not even there? We should never, and I would stress never, neglect meeting together as fellow Christians. In fact, so many of our fellow believers around the world who are being persecuted for their faith as I speak would see meeting together with fellow Christians as a wonderful privilege they don't have. Having said that, I feel there are times when we should perhaps be with our non-church friends in the pub. Back to the joke about the man who drowned in the flood. Your faith should radically transform your life. So be up and doing. I'm saddened by those who say politics doesn't interest them and they don't really care what happens as it doesn't really affect them. I'm afraid that's a luxury we don't have as our lives are being shaped by decisions made by Parliament in Westminster and increasingly by Brussels. And we can influence those decisions by making our opinion known. And so we should. Doing nothing is not an option. We're not all called to be MPs. But thank God for those Christians who are. There are two shining examples in Scripture of men of God who ended up in high office in the political realm, although that was not their original plan. Just consider the examples of Daniel and Joseph who were seeking to do God's will under extremely repressive regimes. 
The former, that's Daniel, caused Darius to admit that God was, quote, the living God who endures forever. What an admission that was. And the latter, that's Joseph, influenced the agricultural policy of his day such that everybody benefited. What should we do then? Uh, These are just a few random ideas, and I'm sure you can add your own to this list. It is not an exhaustive list. How about environmental concerns? I'm not going to talk about global warming, nuclear power, pollution, organic products, and so on. But what I will say is that God gave us the planet to look after responsibly, and we should be wise stewards. And it frustrates me to see environmental activists of no particular religious persuasion who are happily who will happily espouse pagan philosophies, Mother Earth, Gaia, and so on. We need more Christians involved, Christians who will speak out, Christians who will stick up for Christian principles. How about fair trade? Well, we should encourage these initiatives when we can. What about trade unions? How we need Christians who will fight for the rights of their colleagues but whose actions are governed by sound Christian principles. We need good employers too. We need school governors and active members of parents, teachers, associations. Then there's charity work like hospices, soup kitchens, food banks, Macmillan Cancer Support, CAB, Care, Tear Fund, and so on. And I must get a plug in here for street pastors and holiday chaplains because I'm involved. (laughs) Write to the press to protest about something, but also to encourage good practice. It's easy to be against things, but better still when we can emphasize not the problem, but the solution. Join pressure groups. For example, to protest against the closure of a particular bus route as it will have an adverse effect on some old-age pensioners, for example. Ring up on radio phone-ins to put forward a constructive Christian point of view. No, we won't do all these things. We can't be involved with everything. We shouldn't try. But we should be concerned and take an interest in our world especially in that particular area we feel so strongly about. You can't change the whole world, but you can change that bit which is assigned to you. Earlier I gave you two pictures, the spots of light in Manchester and the bright lights of Las Vegas, and I'd like to give you a third, a bus stop. Look at any bus stop and you'll see a range of different attitudes with those people who are waiting. You'll see a boy talking on his mobile, a lady checking her shopping list, a man looking at his watch, wondering why the bus is so late yet again, somebody reading a book, somebody else daydreaming. Can we see that as a picture of each of us as we anticipate anticipate the time when we will meet Jesus. 
Are we spending the time profitably, trying to live in obedience to him and working for a just society? Won't Jesus say to us on that day something along the lines of, what were you doing while you were waiting for the bus? There are some hymns and choruses which seem to have been eradicated from our hymn books, which is a shame. Does anybody remember, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam? You're smiling. Just listen to this. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. In every way, try to please him at home, at school, at play. A sunbeam, a sunbeam. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. A sunbeam, a sunbeam. I'll be a sunbeam for him. You smile benignly. It's so sweet. But isn't it so profound? The ideas are expressed so simply and succinctly. Let's look at it. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. He wants other people as well, but he especially wants me. He wants me to shine as a light for him. I should be visible. Others should know that I am a follower of Jesus. He wants me to shine for him each day. Oh yes, not just in church on Sundays. In every way, try to please him. Please God. That means obeying his commandments. More correctly, try to please him. In other words, if we get it wrong, as we often do, that doesn't matter as it's our intention that counts. Where are we to shine? At home, at school, or in the workplace, or wherever we spend most of our time. At play, in other words, leisure activities. I'll be a sunbeam for him. Will you be that sort of sunbeam? If you buy a pre-recorded DVD, you get on that the outtakes and the other scenes, don't you, that they decided not to include in the film. And I've done something along those lines. So you should have been given this morning a sheet with readings and other points for prayer and reflection so now you know why I chose such a wacky title can I challenge you are you living as in Las Vegas concentrating mainly on what goes on within this church building or are you living as in Manchester Influencing the people you come across in many different ways. Salt and light in many dark places. And lastly, if you see the bus, the bus stop, as picture language for the time we meet Jesus, what are you doing while waiting for the bus? Thank you.